You're listening to our SSG Advisor podcast, our exclusive monthly podcast for our advisor members. Hi, Adam. Hi, Manuela. I'm back. Oh, it's good to have you back. I'm very excited. I know having a whole podcast without you was was tough. Yeah, well, it was okay though. I mean, I listened to it; it was all right. Thank you for that. It's going to be really <laughs> exciting today because we're going to be getting into workplace temperature, and I think that really bridges the line between HR and health and safety. Oh yeah, doesn't good it? topic. This good is topic. a good topic to cover both of those camps, and very topical because it's sweltering in this room. Yeah, well, yeah, we are at this moment ironically sat in a room that's probably about 120 degrees C. Yeah, at least, and we can't have the aircon on because it's too loud for our microphones. So yes. But there we go. Good luck. <laughs> so um, hopefully what we're going to be doing, same format as last time, we're going to be answering questions uh, from a range um, of people and we'll do our best to answer those from a health and safety and HR perspective. Okay, let's go. Ready for it. Question number one. I work in a hot environment that doesn't have aircon. What is the maximum the temperature can reach before we all have to be sent home? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it, Manuela? It's one we get asked a lot. I can answer that from a health and safety point of view. And I don't know if it's different from an HR point of view, but if we're looking at law here, if we turn to the workplace health, safety and welfare regulations, they say that a workplace temperature basically shall be reasonable. And it uses the term reasonable. Then in the approved code of practice bit, it sets down an idea of what reasonable might look like. And for sedentary work in an office, It talks about that temperature having to be above, and that's the important bit, 16 degrees C. So it sets a minimum. It sets no maximum. However, a take on reasonable, we would probably imply that there is a point when it gets so hot. So from an HR perspective, is there a time I can quit the workplace and go home? Well, when people fall asleep or threatened to walk out maybe <laughs> interestingly my daughter would actually ask that kind of question because in schools it's terribly hot sometimes isn't it with no air conditioning and limited windows in some spaces i mean ultimately from hr perspective you obviously want everyone to be able to concentrate on the work that they're doing be comfortable at their workplace and yes you know you can quote the law and you can look at science we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a minute won't we um, but, you know, ultimately you, you have to find a general consensus um, amongst your workforce. And obviously you will also potentially be in a situation where you can't install aircon because of office restrictions or, you know. Food hygiene. Yeah, all sorts, lack of um, funds, etc. But, you know, maybe there is other stuff you can do then, you know, relax your uniform coat or open the windows more regularly. Make sure someone gets in first thing in the morning uh, to regulate the temperature a bit better before people arrive. Buy them all an ice cream, you know, every now and again, give out free um, uh, cold drinks. We've purchased a ice machine actually at SSG, which I thought was a stroke of genius last year. Really good. It's only a little one. It's not massive. It wasn't stupidly expensive and it can make all the difference. So I think basically what we're saying is there is no temperature set in law where we have to send everyone home. But as we will see as we move through this podcast, there are some common sense tools and some science tools we can use to help us make some more rational decisions Ooh, common sense okay next so the next <laughs> question was i work outside in the sun what are the rules do i have to get free suntan lotion stuck in an office inside i'm wishing we could be out in the sun at the moment that would but be so nice 
From a health and safety point of view here, this is all down to risk assessment. Employers need to risk assess hazards, heat, and UV radiation from the sun are hazards that have the potential to cause harm, and we need to put in adequate control measures. If one of those adequate control measures is suntan lotion, then we go back to the Health and Safety at Work Act, and Health and Safety at Work Act says anything provided in the interests of health and safety must be provided with no charge levied. So if suntan lotion is a control measure, then we need to provide it with no charge. Obviously, people can now get twitchy because people might start to talk about allergies a bit i mean i hope we're in a world where if we are allergic to suntan lotion our employer offers it to us we're able to go no i'm allergic to suntan lotion and i wouldn't use it and then we'd have to use an alternative control I, employers might have other ways of control by long sleeve clothing loose clothing whatever that may be anything to add from an hr perspective well i'm just wondering if you can enforce that actually adam what would you say can i enforce use of suntan lotion it's an interesting one, isn't it? But like I said, I, I, alternative control measures, maybe offering long sleeves or the hard thing is going to be compliance checking, though, isn't it? How am I going to ensure that my employees apply it? Yeah, I, I think we might be getting onto the apply it for them logic here, which is clearly not where we want to be going. But how do we know people have applied it fully? fully? I was how going to still smell them, have, but I don't think yeah, that's Yeah, there's no real easy answer to this, is there? No. But I think from a risk point of view, it's really nice to provide that as a control measure. It's really good to make that available. But I think you are making it available. And this really comes back to education. We're at work to do some work, not sunbathe, not work on our tan. This, this is what we should be doing. So we should be using the control measures set on us by our employer, be that long clothing or be that suntan lotion. Yeah. It's going to be incredibly hard to enforce though, isn't it? I think education is the key there. I think that you made a very good point there. Um, and actually, I do remember um, SSG producing a toolbox talk a little while. I think it was last year, was it? year before? Um, around sun exposure in the workplace. So if you are one of our members, you will have access to that. Just uh, contact us if you're interested. So, you know, educating your workers um, on the risk of sun exposure, I think, is a very good first step, isn't it? And uh, yeah, but, you know, coming back to our question, yes, you do have to provide certain, you know, adequate Adequate measures. control measures. Yeah. I work in a hot factory. It's hot at the best of times, but in summer it can be unbearable. Are there any tools I can direct my employer to to help them assess the situation more formally? Before we get into some of the more complex health and safety tools, you were pointing out you get asked this a lot from an HR point of view. Absolutely, yes, I get that a lot, especially obviously you know large manufacturing plants where potentially you aren't allowed to have any uh, kind of aircon type arrangements. So I, I used to work for a food manufacturer and we packaged flowers and bread mixes and that kind of stuff. And you can imagine, you know, in a hall like that, you can't use any moving air. So workers were literally um, yeah, PPE'd up from head to toe with masks and full body suits and everything in the height of summer in a metal box. And that can be horrendous. So, yeah, can relate. So what can we do now? This is where I know people listening to this who know me know that I've got a science background and I love a bit of science talk. And at this point, we go back to this idea of adequate temperature, and reasonable temperature. And it's really, really tough, isn't it? But science can come to our rescue. So one of the things we talk about on our diploma course is heat stress calculations, where there's a British standard where you can actually work out how much stress the thermal environment places on a body. And what we're looking at here really is then an idea from those calculations, how often we need to break. 
And those calculations consider a range of things. Now, the first thing that's really interesting is that temperature is not just about background temperature. And I always explain this when I'm training a bit like this. So we've all been in a situation where it's maybe 40 degrees, but there's a cool breeze from the sea. You're under a parasol and you've got oh. a nice cooling gin and tonic. Keep talking. So now we're in a situation <laughs> from a thermal environment point of view, you're going, oh, that's bliss. I don't have to go anywhere. I can sit and read my book. I can jump into the pool whenever I want. Bliss. Equally, I've um, experienced um, thermal environments where I've been in a rainforest that was about 24, 25 degrees. Doesn't sound that hot. 100% humidity. Absolutely swelteringly hot. Absolutely oppressive heat. And you have to wear full clothing because of the leeches and everything, sort of duct, trousers duct taped to boots and carrying kit. It's horrible. Really, really sweaty and horrible situation. Then you can go back to a situation where uh, uh, sort of snow-based climate, you're skiing, it's minus 10, direct sunshine, and you'd be wearing a T-shirt. Mm. Humidity is very low, temperature is very pleasant. So all of those environments present quite different thermal experiences, but they're all not related to background temperature. And that's because humidity plays a huge part in how we feel thermal comfort. So if it's very high humidity, I can't sweat and allow that sweat, sweat to evaporate to cool my body down so I get much hotter. Radiant temperature, the sun, if I'm exposed to direct sun, I heat up quicker. The, the human body is very efficient at absorbing heat and I can, can get very, very hot. And then things like wind chill can cool me down quite quickly. And then the clothing that I'm wearing can all have a huge impact on my thermal comfort. And of course, the type of work that I'm doing. If I'm doing heavy physical labor, all of these things come into play. So there's a British standard that works out heat stress, um, uh, heat stress indices using the wet globe dry bulb thermometer method. I think that's correct. The what? Exactly. Let's we'll move on from that because I might not be entirely sure those letters are correct. Um, but it's basically measuring the temperature using different tools that then allow you to work out the impact that thermal environment will have on the human body. And then the British standard suggests how regularly we should take breaks. So I just sort of wanted us to, uh, people listening, for most of us, it's going to be a conversation, oh, wait, are you a bit hot? And you're going to say yes or no. Mm -hmm. But equally, in those more technical environments, there might be something where people out there are looking for more consultancy support or some more sort of scientific basis on which to decide, do we invest in aircon? Do we invest in stuff? And I just thought that'd be an interesting thing to explore. Right. Um, but then obviously, you know, there might be recommendations as to, how many breaks you need to take and it might say every 15 minutes and you might go well that's going to disrupt my production flow to the point where it's not feasible so i think there is also um a common acceptance really of workers in certain environments that it, that's just what it is isn't it it's a bit like being a road worker and being out in the snow and the rain all year round uh, half year round so um there is a certain acceptance level but i think from a leadership perspective it's quite important to just make it as bearable as possible um provide air conditioned uh, or cooler rest areas is another mm. one that's really really important you know don't just let them sit in corridors or force them outside into the sunshine you know they would appreciate um also uh, uh, in terms of lunch provision is if you have a factory and you're providing lunch for your workers you might want to consider having a bit of a salad bar rather than a full on roast on yeah. a Wednesday salad, you know, the healthy <laughs> stuff, carrots and cucumbers and that. Um, they might actually enjoy having something cold, a cold option, a cold sandwich option or something like that, point. rather than having a hot meal in the middle of the day. Okay. Let's see what the next question is. 
My workplace requires me to always have arms and legs covered for health and safety reasons. Can I sign a waiver and wear shorts? Oh, health and safety, eh? That's oh, getting in gosh. the way. Right, well, let's, let's, let's start to unpack that from the health and safety reason point of view, and then we'll have a look at it from an HR point of view. So from a health and safety point of view, if the risk assessment says you need to have arms and legs covered, you need to have arms and legs covered. But risk, risk controls are not an option. They are absolute. I used to work in the chemical industry. We had to have arms and legs covered because of the horrifically carcinogenic materials we were working with. It was not a requirement. From a UK law point of view, I can't accept harm. It's against the law in the UK to accept harm. I can't sign a waiver. I can't say I sign a contract. But that's something I can't do. So if I don't want to wear the PPE, the only thing I can really do is exit the workplace and not expose myself to the hazard. Yeah. And I think that's from an HR point of view. It's just reinforcement absolutely. at that point, I guess. Yeah, isn't absolutely. It? It's very straightforward, actually. I suppose the only other question now is is the clothing classed as PPE or is it classed as a uniform? So so chemical plant, risk assessment said, yeah. hazard, skin contact with carcinogenic material, mm-hmm. control measure, full arms and legs to be covered at all times. So it's PPE. Yeah. There's no two ways about that. Uniforms are a bit different. A bit different. So if you take us as a consultancy, for example, if we send a consultant out on a construction site, I'd also say that your long trousers would be classed as PPE as opposed to a uniform because... Obviously, we need to make our consultants as safe as any other worker on a site. But if they're going into an office environment and they say, oh, you know, it's so super hot today. Can I wear shorts, please? That's a different conversation to have, isn't it? So how do we feel about that? I think this gets into HR. From a health and safety point of view, my my care line, I've passed that, don't care. But from an (laughs) HR point of view, this is is really challenging. I don't want to wear long trousers to work and I don't want to wear the company cheap nylon shirts. That's right. What hey, are our options? Our shirts aren't I wasn't talking about our, I wasn't talking about SSG branded clothing here, by the way, listeners. Beautiful. Yeah, but that is a very good point, actually. You might want to invest in decent workwear that people feel comfortable in, uh, give them some different options that they, of stuff that they can wear. I think um, there is a line where you can say, you know, as a service provider, for example, you need to maintain a, a consistent image and a you know, professional image, etc. So there are certain things that you can enforce, but they may come at the expense of engagement and people really wanting to do their best for you. So you've got to ask yourself, what's more important here? You know, can I let people wear um, T-shirts and shorts or do I insist on having long sleeve sh- sleeves and, and trousers here? Um, I, th- I suppose the other thing you need to consider is the gender debate. So if you, for example, um, have a rule in place where women are allowed to wear skirts in the workplace in summer with no tights, etc. Um, but um, people who identify as male are not able to do that or are not able to bear shorts, more specifically, you might have an equality issue on your hands here. So that's something that you should also discuss um, with your employees. And again, as anything in HR... You know, people are not black and white. You know, we all have different backgrounds and and views on things. So just make sure you take that seriously and don't write people off straight away just because they are challenging what you've always done. I think um, you sort of made made that point as well about, and it made me think of tradition. And I think sometimes we're wearing uniforms because that's a very traditional thing to do. And we think that's how we present. That's right. And I think the world's moved on. A, a quite a bit from that traditional thing and I don't have to wear a tie to be a manager I don't have to present Absolutely. in a certain way to be a consultant and have that people I think look beyond that now and actually want to see good robust knowledge from their employees and yeah. so therefore what we want to do is keep and retain the best talent and to do that we need to make sure they're 
comfortable. I'm not talking about not dressing in a smart and professional way, but flexibility, I think, needs to be considered. Agreed. One of our workers is currently menopausal. They are constantly complaining about the heat. Do I need to do anything specific for them? Ah, menopause. This just makes me think back to our previous podcast. Oh, that made you very uncomfortable, didn't it? And this question, I'm sat here thinking, that's one for Mum Whaler. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, we won't be talking about vaginal discharge today, Adam. It's okay, we'll let you off the hook. Um, So, menopausal workers, obviously we all know that uh, having um, hot flushes is is one of the symptoms you can have during menopause. Uh, And yes, they may need some special consideration and... Menopause is covered under the Equality Act as a disability if it is um, affecting people in access of 12 months. Longer um, periods of time. For longer periods of time. So uh, what you might want to do is make sure these people sit uh, in strategically placed spots around the office where the aircon is is a little bit stronger or where you can open a window, for example. Again, we're coming back to our uniform code. You might want to relax that a little bit, Um, you know, cold drinks and all the rest of it. But yeah, definitely. This brings me back to a broader question, really. We've already talked about gender and the sort of differences there in maybe dress sense and comfort for the summer, but also just ones in terms of natural metabolic rates and people presenting with different comfort levels. And then what we start to get into is this this complex idea of of discriminating and getting a bit scared of that. But what you've got to look at is that we've got to treat everyone as an individual. If someone is hot, they're hot. However, one thing the HSE have always said is that when we're managing temperature um, in the workplace, we should look at how many people are dissatisfied with the temperature. So if we have one or two people out of 100, I think the, um, I think the paper I'm referring to is percentage people dissatisfied, um, study, which is a British standard, which is if there's it's sort of the 2080 rule, basically. Or is that Plato? I think it's 80-20 rule. <laughs> And it's, I may be wrong there. And it's, um, I should, shouldn't hang myself with making claims like that, should I? And then um, when we're looking at that, what, you, what you're recognising, if just one or two people in an office of 100 are complaining that they're too yeah. hot or too cold, what we shouldn't do is knee-jerk reaction to covering the whole office in additional aircon and changing all of our windows. Just and give them a fan. Deal with that, just give them a fan. Locally yeah. manage it. If they're cold, give them a jumper. If they're hot, give them a fan. Yeah. If they're hot, let them go out into the fresh air more. Sometimes it's just about dealing with people as individuals, but not not trying to deal with everyone for the sake of one or two people. Yeah, and also don't make assumptions like you just say. You know, you can't say, oh, all blokes are always a little bit colder and all girls always need another layer on that's rubbish isn't it we've it's all been true. there it's so it's not true you're absolutely right treat people as individuals and you're halfway there okay my colleague gets hot and very sweaty and this especially the odors can impact on other people in the office how do i address this issue moving your chair a few feet to the right is that an acceptable solution manuela have you ever had to speak to someone adam who's a bit smelly Fortunately, I've managed to avoid it. It's always oh. been done by. You need to come on our. Been done by our HR department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to come on our difficult conversations I, I, training I course. I attended that training and learnt a lot. Very so. good, excellent. So you will remember we do tell each other that we smell on that course without making each other cry. So uh, one thing I can recommend is, you know, if that's a conversation you might have to have, book yourself onto the course because we can give you some some top tips on how to manage that properly. Um, yeah, I mean, some people just find it quite difficult to um, apply good hygiene when it gets a little bit hot. Some people excessively sweat because they might be a little bit bigger or they might have an underlying health condition. 
So it's not necessarily always related to the heat, but obviously in this case, um, the question was directly related to that. You need to speak to them. You know, obviously as a colleague, that's really difficult. You might want to leave that to a manager, to a leader. Um, and yeah. I'm guessing there's some situations, it depends on the nature of work as well. Some jobs are just hot and sweaty. And so as a trainer standing in front of a room, I've experienced times when it's warm and you become sweaty. Now, most of the time, we therefore have a nice, robust hygiene sort of um, uh, routine and we wear a good, heavy sort of deodorant that works for that environment. If you're standing in front of a class for that long, you know, you always make sure you pick a higher performing deodorant, sort of one of those, you know, top trainer tips. Mm -hmm. And then there's always that one day when you just forget Mm -hmm. your routine is broken by uh, uh, something that happens. And then so sometimes, you know, if this is a one off, sometimes just just mentioning someone because you never know it might be honest yeah i forgot my deodorant today and you might be carrying an emergency bottle of deodorant and save them from embarrassment for the rest of the day but if it's an ongoing constant issue then you definitely have to make that i would also say though let's always drop back to the mental health training here and always drop back to what we talk about in our mental health training courses never make assumptions Mm -hmm. because we might have someone who suddenly started coming into the office they're smelling but when you actually ask them why mm-hmm. there might be underlying things they might have been kicked out of their house they might be living out of the car there might be things we didn't know about so i think we have to be cautious like you said it's not just saying to someone god you smell you need to deal with it it's about dealing with it in a in an empathetic and caring way isn't it absolutely you can also there's also preventative measures you could consider as an employer so if you have a fairly small team you might want to consider putting deodorant in your bathroom for example that people can use so they don't have to ask anyone and they can just use that without embarrassment or putting some wet wipes in there that people might be able to use if they need to freshen up in between. Um, you know, also, again, choosing your uniform wisely. Don't go for the cheapest stuff because it will make people sweat more. Um, also, look at, you know, colouring. You know, when, if everyone wears white shirts, that's not really the best option to go for necessarily because sweat patches are really, really mm. visible there. Um, so it depends a bit on, like you just said, Adam, the environment that you're working in. As an employer, think about preventative measures, but definitely you will have to step in there if it becomes a nuisance issue for other colleagues or your customers. To sum up what we've talked about here, I think from a health and safety point of view, we've talked about the fact there is no maximum temperature. There's been lots of talk in the media over the years about should we have a at 30 degrees, we all go home. But like I explained with the science, it's not as simple as that background temperature because it includes humidity and radiated temperature and the work that you're doing and all of these things. What we need to do from a health and safety perspective is robustly risk assess the hazard of workplace temperature. And then we need to put in robust controls. And we've talked about a number of those. Some of the controls we could put into place are things like providing cold drinks, access to fresh air. We've talked about from the personal hygiene point of view, um, deodorant in the toilets. That's a genius idea that I hadn't thought about before. Um, and making sure that, you know, we robustly risk assess. The idea of reasonable temperature will be different people. I think that's what we need to consider, isn't it? And I think the other thing was to remember to treat people as individuals, treat people with sort of care and empathy. And, and keep talking. Keep talking. And then remember, if we get this right, we end up with a happy, engaged, motivated and much more efficient workforce. That was great, Adam. I really want to get out of this room now. Yeah, it is really hot. It is very hot. (laughs) Anyway, thanks all. Thanks for listening. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you in your next podcast. Our next podcast. This is going very wrong. See you next month. (laughs) Bye. Bye.